the bar uh, for a brand new episode. Uh, we've all had our vitamin injections from Dr. Z and we're ready to go again. Mm-hmm. Mike, you all good? All good, Steph. Yeah, I am a tickety-boo. Excellent. Al, yourself? I'm very good. I read a study that said that men, when groups of men spend time with each other, yes. they, mm. they tend to divide into three subgroups. The <laughs> alpha, right. the funny one, yeah. and the nerd. And this study took a lot of alpha. Guess I'm the nerd then, guys. <laughs> but this, uh, this study took a lot of alphas and put them together. You don't look alpha. And even, and even, even when they put all the alphas together, mm. they still then delineated into the, these three subgroups uh, of the alpha, yeah. the funny ones, and the nerds. Mm. And I want to know how alpha the men would be were for Mike to choose to oh. become a nerd. Oh, wow. Oh, I yeah, want. I want to. I want. I want to meet the men that can turn Mike into a. Probably Lord of the Flies. If we are dropped an island with Kimbo Slice, Paul Sykes. <laughs> yeah. I don't know to be there. Uh, Tyson Fury's dad, John Fury. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm the ner- of those four. I'm definitely the nerd so far. Put it that way. Yes. Have you ever not been the alpha in the room? That's a good question, and I think the answer is probably no. Well, sure. Unless it's, unless it's my living room with my dad. My dad's tough to get a word in edgeways. You know, he is he is like a silverback. You must have played yeah. rugby with some proper nutters though back in the back in the day. You play rugby with the, with the blokes who get their clothes off and, and you know, a lot of that stuff's done often in lieu of a personality, I find. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, but as as far as alpha males go, as holding court, then it, it would tend to be you know, I sort of I think when I was like seventeen when I was like a year below uh, youth. I was captain of Barry Youth, you know, and then when I went up to the next year of youth, I briefly captained Cardiff Youth, and so I, I ended up being, yeah, I sort of being like a, an alpha-y type male, I suppose. Yeah. I also want to meet the group of men where I'm the alpha one. <laughs> yeah, that'd be a very different crew, wouldn't it? <laughs> that'd be a right lap. Get out to sort it out. Get the hard one yeah. to sort it out. Yeah. That is. <laughs> It's all kicking off in here, Al. Come on. Yeah. Let's get rid of these <laughs> Yeah. Whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> Not on my watch. <laughs> hey, hey. Get whoa, it down, you. You're spoiling it now. You're spoiling it. Whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> I'd like to see Kimball Slice be the nerd or the funny one in a group of men. Can you imagine? Well, he watches... Uh, his, he, he, I mean, he lost in the UFC a few times, didn't he? Yeah. Yeah. You know. But I don't think that made him necessarily funny. <laughs> no. <laughs> I don't know. Yes, I've, I've seen those sort of studies before. It'd be interesting. I, I would. I. I always thought that if push came to shove, I said this to my mate Eggsy once, John Rutledge, that we all know, mm. um, and he said, "Do you think you'd be? A, do you think you'd survive, like in an apocalypse situation?" And I said, "I wouldn't survive. I'd thrive, because." <laughs> Because I think in, in that situation, it's, it's all, all better off, isn't it? And I've got a, you know, I've got a motorbike. I've got, yeah. a, got a few cans of fuel down there. I've got a crossbow. I've got leather trousers. <laughs> I could see myself as like a warlord of the Canton area. <laughs> Mad Max of Canton. Yeah, I've even sort of, what, what, I did a recce once, trying to think, if, if it all kicked off, where would, I, where would I commandeer? Right. And there's a Catholic church off King's Road. Brilliant. With very thick walls, very thick door, easily defended. Right. You with found a, very, a church near where you na- live. Yeah. Where if it all goes off, you're going to yeah. uh, hold down. 
And from speaking of Vic next door, I know for a fact that there's a natural well under that church as well. Oh so I'd be God. all right for water. Oh. I'm sorted. If it kicks off, I'm sorted. That's probably too much research. I told you I met a prepper once today. Did I tell you what I met the prepper? Oh, they're a right laugh preppers. Oh, mate. Oh, you love this, right? Although the problem is, now that the pandemic has happened, it's... Who's, la- who's laughing now? Absolutely. Well, not this bloke, because i tell you what happened. I went to... Uh, I met a proper prepper in America. I was in Vermont, right? And he was, like, big lead-lined water tanks out in the middle of nowhere, yeah. guns everywhere, just guns and guns and guns, tins and tins of food, and he was unhinged. He was, like, a Vietnam veteran, but he was a proper, proper US-style prepper. Yeah. Uh... In the course of making a thing with Exit called The Unexplainers, we did an, an end-of-the-world episode where we had to track down a prepper. Now, they're quite cagey people. They don't, don't like to speak uh, and, and get out there too much. So we, yeah. we, we tracked a bloke down to the land dock area of Cardiff, right? Right. So we get there. I met this fellow. We'll call him John, right? So his first room of his house, he lived alone. His, live, his front room was just full of Rice Krispies, right? It was just boxes and boxes and boxes of Rice Krispies, right? <laughs> Which told me two things, right? One, he loved Rice Krispies. Right? <laughs> and two, he had no idea how calories worked. I said, because what, what you've done there, John, is you've made a tenth of a room of rice into a room full of Rice Krispies. Right? You couldn't get his head around it, right? In his, in his kitchen area, in his kitchen area, he'd fashioned what I can only describe as a concrete sarcophagus, right? Where he, where he was going to lie, where he was going to lie down, right, during the initial blast phase of any of anything kicking off, right. By which point, I imagine his rice krispies are fucked, right. So, <laughs> right, they'd be burned, so they'd look like copper cups, but they taste <laughs> absolutely terrible. But he, he had about he had about four liters of water, right. <laughs> right. So I'm chatting to this 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 prepper now, right, and I said, uh, I said, well, you know, what would you do if someone, you know. If it all kicks off, he said, well, I either stay here or I'll bug out to the woods. He used, he used the phrase, I'll bug out to the woods. Yeah. But Landock Woods is about eight trees, right? <laughs> this, it's, not, it's not like the forest of Vermont, right? And he, he said, I've just buried loads of food in Tupperware boxes in, in the woods. I know, I know where it all is. So in some, somewhere in Landock Woods, there's just loads of rice loads Krispies. Loads of Tupperware boxes of rice Krispies in the, in the mud, right? Multi-packs. So, yeah. <laughs> Like uh, there's like ricicles, crunchy cornflakes. <laughs> <laughs> right, so we're talking to this dude now, and I, I'm just thinking, and Eggsy's looking at him, and I'm looking at him, and um, he says to the end of it, John says to me, Eggsy says to me, um, are you gonna, so are you going to prep? I said, I'm not going to prep, mate. Listen, there's no point prepping. We're not going to have a nuclear war. There's too many rich people, got too much to lose these days. That's not going to happen, right? So then the prepper goes, well, it wouldn't have to be a nuclear war. I said, what do you mean? He said, well, it could be electromagnetic pulse, it could be hyperinflation, there could be food riots, there could be any number of things. He said, you know, you, you don't know how it's, how it's going to kick off. I said, OK, I'm just saying there's no point in me preparing. That's what I'm saying. He said, well, how would you work that out then? I said, well, I've been to preppers in America. And I said, I've been to your house. I said, have you got any weapons? He went, no. I said, right, I've got a crossbow and I know where you live. <laughs> <laughs> I said, if I run in short on Rice Krispies in a crisis situation, I'm going to come to your house and eat your Rice Krispies. Because <laughs> if you haven't got a weapon, mate, you're knackered, aren't you? That's oh. the bottom line. Oh. And also- as you can see, his whole, like, five years of pre- preparing for, for Armageddon had been crushed by that one, you know. <laughs> these, his face dropped. In all those films, 
where it does kick off, you know, yeah. I, I am legend, World yes. War Z, etc. Mm. Yeah. Rice Krispies never play a part in those oh, films. No, don't don't they? see them. No, they're not. None of the cereals, really. No. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> World War Z. I imagine the upstairs. I imagine. I mean, Cheerios. The milk's going to be rank in two weeks, isn't it? <laughs> you know, yeah, but you know. If you had like, if you had like Kellogg's clusters, you could be dry. <laughs> You can eat those dry, they're not too bad. In 28 days later, it's not some blokes up by the filing cabinet eating a lot of Alpenis. Hoping it's going to blow over. Just looting the supermarket and just going straight to the cereal aisle. <laughs> Never mind the tin goods. Right, I've sorted out breakfast. <laughs> oh, what are we going to do for lunch? And what are we going to put, you know, dinner and tea? Um, hmm... Do you like Three Rice Krispies? Prepare, prepare, prepare. No. <laughs> Snap, crackle, pop. <laughs> but the sarcophagus. I said, what? Like, he couldn't be asked to make a shelter, so he just made something the size of his body, <laughs> which was the shape and function of a coffin, if anything happened. Right, first clip for this week. Ellis, uh, you're up first this time. Well, they often say that football is a game for gentlemen played by thugs and that rugby is a game for thugs played by gentlemen. Well, I beg to differ, and I mm. cannot think of um, a better case for the uh, prosecution than this following video. Door throws. Moriarty palms. And I tell you, this has got to be sorted out. What a start to an international. Totally unnecessary. And there, Phil Davis on the ground. Punches thrown. Two men absolutely on the deck. Now, there'd already been a bit of nastiness. Moriarty got hands to the ball, was half held back. Then Phil Davis was in on John Hall. And that really does disfigure a great match. Phil Davis of Trinefoli is OK there. You can see that his eyes almost closed. It does look nasty. So there we go, Wales versus England um, at the National Stadium, Cardiff, Cardiff Arms Park in 1987 in the Five Nations. The Battle of Cardiff, as it's in, now known. I was in East Terrace for that game. Were you? Mm-hmm. Okay, well, I, w- I was hoping, I mean, I was 90% sure that you you were there anyway. Yeah. Mm. But this game now has become legendary for the violence and the scuffling and the fighting. So the England forwards... Wanted to prove to everyone there was this there was this theory that the England forward that the England the England forwards the England pack was soft and they wanted to mm. prove to everyone once and for all that they weren't soft so they took the game to Wales and you know the, as the old cliche goes a game of rugby broke out eventually but there's an awful lot of fighting and scuffling in this game Phil Davis the Lethian Wales uh, number eight gets his cheekbone broken in three different places he gets punched by Wade Dooley. Who was a copper? A six foot seven copper. Yeah, if 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 Wade Dooley had seen you do that in a, you know, high street on a Saturday night, he could have put you in prison. But because it's happening on a pitch in front of fifty five thousand people and live on telly, it's absolutely fine. What came across in that game was that it was skullduggery by England. It wasn't. It wasn't blokes. You know, the too much testosterone and, and it spilled over. It was a. It, it would seem premeditated that the right at the beginning of the game they had a game plan and it was to take. You know, to take people out of the game, because if you see the whole clip, you, I think you can put the, the two clips up. Hell, the yeah. one is the just the, basically the punch. The other one is the bit of the preamble before that and the lineout before that. And you can see that that was a 
that was a premeditated thing that England did. But I, I, it's, it's quite grainy. You see, watch that footage back. And I've tried to watch it on, on slow motion, but it doesn't really work very well, the yeah. frame rate and stuff. I think Phil Davis throws a left at somebody. I can't make out who it is. Yes. Right. I think he throws a left at one of the England boys. Dooley's right behind him and sees that. So as Phil Davis then is off balance, after he's thrown the first punch, Dooley comes in with that big right and yeah. caves his cheekbone in. But, I mean, it was a very, I mean, it was a very naughty, very naughty punch. Um, I don't agree with going into a rugby game, trying to take people out. You know, I don't, that, that rankles with me. When you watch like... So like... The Lions, especially uh, yeah, the Lions, say, like the O'Driscoll before ones. the tests, or Doddy Weir when he got they stamped on his knee. You know, oh yeah, that moment? yeah, Bridging yeah. A ruck and he got stamped on his knee. Yeah, going in there to target people before a game, I think is 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 not what the game's about. Who's the Irish player who gets punched when he's on the O'Gara. Yes, playing for yeah. the Lions, and then the camera follows him into the treatment room. Yeah, and he's. I mean, he's he's a right mess actually, and yeah. and he keeps saying it was just cheap shots. I couldn't yeah, see where they, and he's I, rightly so. Yeah. I I couldn't see where they were hitting me from because I was on the floor. I couldn't defend myself. It was just cheap shots. It is pretty breathtaking, actually. I'm thinking of you know sport around that time. There was that brawl, Arsenal versus Man United in 1990 when both teams got docked yeah. points. If you compare that to the Battle of Cardiff, it's it's pretty tame actually. And and even though. Um, Richard Hill, the captain, was dropped, uh, and Graham Dorr and Wade Dooley and Gareth Chilcott, they were warned by the by Megson, the coach, and the RFU, and then they were dropped for the next game. Mm. It's a very understated commentary from Bill McLaren, who says things like, they've made their point, oh, let's hope it settles down. <laughs> like, Come on, mate. He's <laughs> just had his cheekbone broken in three places. It's all bit settles, dude. I should remember, like in the eighties and, and you know, the and the very early nineties, that there'd be fairly regularly fights in school games. Certainly in the oh, club yeah. game, they fights all the time. You know, it was just like it was a big part of the game. I think I got sent off in a game against Oakdale once. I late tackled, high tackled the number ten. Good man. And then the game just descended into a mass brawl. And their mums and dads piled in as well and started... <laughs> Magical. There was an old guy with a walking stick, I remember, hitting our number eight over the head with his walking stick. Oh, like World of Sport, like they'd wrestling. Like <laughs> it was a, it, yes, yes. Kendo Nagasaki. I got a... Uh, I think I'm lifetime banned from playing under-14s. <laughs> which is such a conundrum. I mean, to really, a 12-month 12, a 12 ban would be ample, really. It, it, I, I would think it was overkill, if anything, from the Welsh Schools Rugby Union. I think the thing with that Battle of Cardiff was, it was unusual to see it... I mean, there's always... There were kind of standout incidents. Like, when, when Phil Davis gets his cheekbone caved in and his, his face is a hell of a mess oh, blood everywhere yeah. you know, he, look, he looks awful it looks bad if, you, if you're if you a parent with a kid watching that at home you think, and he had work on Monday <laughs> that's what I mean do you know what I mean that. people forget that I think I mean look so, yeah, but Wade Dooley's got work on Monday yeah, well, yeah. he's yeah. got to go he's got to go and pick up some little scrub for GBH on Monday and he just <laughs> caved the bloke's caved the bloke's face on national television on Saturday afternoon and then he's got to go and play with the Preston Grasshoppers the next week, which pre- which Steph mentioned earlier. He thought it was yeah. posh because they're no, I think Preston it's exotic. I remember reading it in the program and thinking Preston Grasshoppers. That sounds fantastic. <laughs> it's some sort of like Nirvana. Which part of Preston Grasshoppers is the exotic? The Grasshoppers the part. The Grasshoppers are they like an exotic animal to you? Because <laughs> you would love the lane in the back of my house. <laughs> 
Hey, the, 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 the sulfur daddy long legs. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Who are we playing next week, Dad? Roncorn slow worms. Ooh, dare I dream. <laughs> Not the Chorley Money Spiders. <laughs> wow. The Chorley Money Spiders. <laughs> Oh, tremendous. Right, that one is up on our playlist for this week's episode. If you go to our YouTube uh, channel, if you go to youtube.com slash the socially distant sports bar, we put up a playlist up every week. Yeah, if you fancy watching quite mediocre rugby with a lot of fighting, it is the 12-minute clip for you. If instead, or as well, you like watching a man coming down a mountain super fast on skis, flipping over... At about 30 miles an hour, 40, 50, 60, whatever he is, 80 mile an hour, flipping over and landing on his head, then this one is the clip for you. This is from 1998. This is Hermann Meyer of Austria at the Winter Olympics in Japan. He's doing the men's downhill. It doesn't go particularly well. So, that is the downhill event, Oof. which he was favourite for. He, it's ridiculous. He totally loses control and lands on his head. And everyone at the scene thinks Herman Meyer is probably not going to be competing for the rest of this Olympics at best. Yeah. Worst case scenario. Yeah. He's drinking dinner. He gets up, waves, waves at the camera, gives everyone a thumbs up. A couple of days later, he wins the Super G, and then he wins the giant slalom as well. Two Olympic gold medals from a man who has every right to have gone home and just gone, that really hurts, I don't want to do it anymore. I watched that crash three times yeah. when, you sent, when you sent this clip over. Yeah. And I cannot, for the life of me, see how he gets out of that without that dislocated shoulder and broken collarbone. Minimum. Snow, isn't it? Snow. I know it's snow, but... You've, you've thrown a snowball before, haven't you? <laughs> but you've also thrown one which has got the ice in it and that chafes. And has got stones in it. Yeah. You weren't you were the kid who got blinded by the snowball. You, you, you weren't the one that's in all the warnings. No, no, no. No, no, I've never no. met that kid, where the kid was that got blinded by a stone and a snowball. <laughs> it must be out there somewhere. It is, it is what hell of an impact... It's, it's insane. It, it would. I'll tell you what as well. Until you go to those those ski those like Olympic ski runs, I obviously haven't been down one, but I've been where they are. If you've done none, and I've done almost none, when you stand at the side of those runs, that camera does it no justice whatsoever. They are oh. in, they're like forty five degrees. I mean, yeah. they're frighteningly steep, and that snow is essentially ice. Yes, right. You're coming down basically an ice slope, forty five degree at about seventy five miles an hour. So yeah, how how he how he how he gets up from that? A serious injury from that? I don't know. How he then goes on to win a couple of Olympic gold medals that week is insane. Bit of a con though, mate, isn't it? With, Go on. With, uh, no, it's just a bit of a con. So I, I, I used to watch Ski Sunday with David Vine on a regular basis. Right, I loved it. Probably the best theme tune of, in my eyes, of all of, of them. Of a, yes, of a sports show. Yeah. Of all of them. There's some, there's some great ones out there. Um, I don't know the difference in Super G and, and Giant Slalom and Downhill. What's the difference? Bigger. They all look exactly the same to me. Bigger. Super G, bigger. 
What do you mean super G? What do you mean bigger? The downhill's the one you want to win. It's like swimming. Only, I agree with you. But you only, you What's only the go fastest one at the time, time? you? Yeah. You only go. Don't get me on swimming. You, you, I'll, I'll go. I'll, I will. I will ruin the podcast. What swimming? Are you very much um, in the Steve Redgrave school of? Well, if I was told to row in different well, styles, hey, I'd have won loads. Steve Redgrave. Yeah, you know, Steve Redgrave sits down and wins Olympic gold. So don't worry about it too much, Steve. <laughs> um, <laughs> do you know what I mean? <laughs> You can't sit in a boat with three other blokes and then complain about, you know, someone's not as sporting as you. Um, no, I'll, I'll, I'll mention swimming another day. Suffice to say... Save it. That, yeah, they're full of shit. But I'm just saying... I'm just saying with, I didn't get the difference in Super G and, and... Do you know the thing with Herman Meyer and injuries? This isn't even his worst one. So in 2001, then, he has a motorcycle accident and the doctors are pretty close to amputating one of his legs. Instead, they kind of do reconstructive surgery, and he's out for two years from skiing. And then in 2006, in the Olympics in, I think it was in Italy, I think, he wins a silver and a bronze. Shut up. He nicknamed the Herminator. Some some people like that. My my mate Nicky, I call him Rubber Nick sometimes, because the the falls he's had, I mean, he should be dead. He should have died a long time ago. Skiing? No, no, drinking. Yeah. <laughs> the thing with Ski oh, Sunday, Ski Sunday was on British television for years. Yes. Yeah. When I was growing up, the proportion of people I knew who went skiing was oh. tiny. Yes. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Tiny. Steph was posh. Steph went skiing. I did not yeah, go did. skiing. I didn't go skiing. Oh, do you know what? No, lie, lie. We went on uh, holiday, right, once to Switzerland yeah. as kids. To villa. Yeah. <laughs> Technically, my granddad's fella, but carry on. Uh, no. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, so we went to Switzerland and we went, yeah, we went up the Jumpfragork or something like that. And yeah. the, the, the Swiss Cadridris. He said it again. He's brought it back. The Swiss Cadridris. Yeah. Go on. The Swiss Penavan. Yeah. yeah. The Swiss Oiver. Okay. Skiing's one of the things, it's one of those sports. I, I had no real um, brush with skiing going to Barry Boys Comprehensive in the 80s, right? Yeah, but as, as an adult, when I spent a bit of time over in North America, um, and I, I like being skiing a couple of times, and I I didn't like it either time, right? Um, it really hurt my shins, just found it very painful. Yeah, I wasn't very good at it. Um, the instructor told me I was good at falling over, which is supposed to be a compliment, little prick. Um, <laughs> but when you say to people, it's, it's one of those things. The people who love skiing love skiing. That's fair. They can fill their boots, right? Kelly's friend Jude loves skiing, right? She goes, oh, I love skiing. Have you ever been skiing, Mike? Yeah, yeah. Isn't it great? No, I didn't like it much. And they go, oh, you want to keep? You just, you just haven't got into it properly. If you get into it, you'd love it. Well, I went twice. I didn't like it. Oh, whatever much. you do, Mike, don't go snowboarding. Those people are absolute <laughs> twats. Awful people. Skiing's what you want to do. You know I mean, telling me that I don't understand what I don't do and don't like, and skiers <laughs> are bad for that. You'd love it if you kept doing it. I wouldn't love it. I fucking hate it. I hate it. I hate, I hate it now. Why, why, why wouldn't I know what I like better than what Kelly's friend Jude knows what I like? <laughs> Bearing in mind that skiing excluded, as a pastime, excluded the vast majority of the British public. Yes. The idea yeah. that Ski Sunday was a ratings winner and was on telly throughout my childhood. But we used to watch it as a family after yeah. tea. And we used to watch it, especially the kids. We used to watch it, hoping that they'd crash and fall over. That's why you watch everything. That's why you watch motorbike racing. That's why you watch. That's why you watch Grand everything. Prix. So you just. Exactly. Watch an Inspector Morse, hoping someone falls over. <laughs> See, 
you've, you've, you know, you've had, you've had your spaghetti hoops on toast and it's Sunday night and just before... <laughs> oh, I love the crashes. I love the crashes. Look at that, he's broken his spine. Brilliant. I love the crashes on Ski Sunday. Just do the crashes, yeah. Stop bullshitting us, David Vine. Get to the crashes. Oh, just get to the crashes, David. Who cares one? It just strikes me that it was conceived by someone at BBC Sport who wanted to go around the world... Yes, absolutely. Because no one from Britain was any good. No. So, we're going to stick it on prime time on a Sunday evening. Okay, who are the stars of it then? Some Austrian guy you've never heard of. Franz (laughs) Klammer. What? Franz who? But but it'll be great, it'll be great, it'll be great. And I've booked all the tickets already. But in terms of the exclusivity of the sport itself, there was Ski Sunday, but there wasn't... Polo Saturday or Lacrosse Monday. I bet they pitched it. I bet they yeah. pitched it. Cro- croquet Tuesday. Yeah. It's, it's an hour long. Mike, all, <laughs> all the crashes from Croquet. Live from Saint Tropez, Mike Bubbins presents <laughs> Beach Volleyball Tuesday. I'd love that. What a job. Do you know what? I taught in Switzerland very briefly. I spent two months teaching in a school over in a place called Veve in Switzerland. Right. Really nice place on Lake Geneva there. But one of the days, one of my days in, in work there, was driving a minibus full of very nice kids to Geneva on a really sunny day to watch beach volleyball all day. That was my job. What? I thought, this is like the best job in the world. I mean, apart from this job, when I just get to talk to you two every weekend and have a couple of beers, Yeah. I thought, my God, this is, you know, for, for a boy from Barry, my day, the previous day, I'd been playing some rugby, touch rugby with the kids Yeah. in the sunshine. The day before that, I'd been having a swim in the outdoor pool with the kids. <laughs> And then, and then every evening we'd walk into the Montreux Jazz Festival down Lake Geneva. Yeah. Go to the Montreux Jazz Festival, watch some wicked bands. Somet- some nice f- sometimes, yeah. when you tell me anecdotes from your life, yeah, yeah, it doesn't sound like somebody's life who was born in Barry in 1972. It sounds like a storyline from Quantum Leap. <laughs> <laughs> oh, what, yeah, what, did, mean... what did Ziggy have to say about <laughs> you taking a lot of kids oh, to watch beach volleyball? Amazing. I did. Uh, right, Mike, you are up next for round number one. What have you got? Right, this one is one of the uh, one of our Twitter followers sent me this in. I should have remembered his name, but I can't remember it. Um, uh, sorry about that, if you're listening. Uh, I do apologise. I, I wrote it down, but I haven't brought it upstairs. That's, what, that's, that's the preamble. Uh, yeah, just have a look at this. This is the 1969 League Cup final uh, from Wembley Stadium, the home of football, our, our national stadium, uh, the crown the crown jewel of, a, of a British, British football stadiums. Yeah. 1969 League Cup final. That pitch in 1969 is an absolute quagmire, right? And instead, it turns out when you do a little bit of research, it was because the week before, before one of the major British football finals, right? Before the League Cup final, the the week before, they had the Horse of the Year show <laughs> on the pitch, <laughs> <laughs> uh... and, and and none of that, none of that wheeling the, the new grass bollocks and then wheel the old stuff out. The same grass, right? They had. A, Hundreds of horses, thousands of people, you know, shitting, jumping, doing whatever the horse is <laughs> Shitting, <laughs> doing, doing yeah. slide tackles for a lot of horse shit. Yeah, just a massive pile <laughs> of dung in the six-yard box. Making posters advertising the horse of the year show. Jumping, shitting. 
<laughs> Come watch what it. Did, what, right, what did groundsmen do in the 60s and the 70s? Have a week off, by the way, on that. Talk about cushy jobs. Talk about me watching, like, volleyball in, in Switzerland. <laughs> what did he do? Put, put a brown coat on and a flat cap, get a fork and some hay... And just walk on the pitch at half time, dig it a bit, and then go and have a sit down again. When the when the lockdown started, BT Sport were just showing extended highlights of quite random games from the first division in the seventies and eighties. Long Always extended bad. highlights. Always terrible, but some of them really genuinely breathtakingly bad. I'm thinking in particular the baseball ground Derby County's old ground before they yes. moved to the park. Mm-hmm. Uh, Villa Park, terrible. The Derby County one, baseball ground. I saw I saw one pass and it just stopped. Yeah. And it, it was like a forty yard cross field kick, and it just hit. It must have just gone. Yeah. And just stayed still. <laughs> and I just thought, what the hell? What the hell were they doing? Sorry, I was looking at the pitch. I was thinking to myself, what could it be? I hadn't realised that it was the the horse of the year final. So I was yeah. thinking, so I looked it up. So I thought, okay, well, no semi finals. At Wembley in those days, it's just a final. But that's that, that hasn't been yet because it's May and the League yeah. Cup's always in March. I thought the home internationals, they're in May. Yeah. And it's yeah. 1969. So there's no World Cup qualifier for 1970 because England are, are champions. <laughs> there, there was famously dog racing at Wembley, but that was yeah. around the track, around the, yeah. the perimeter. And I could not work out how the pitch had been cut up to such an extent. Because there wasn't an enormous amount of football played on where, on no. Wembley pitch in, in those days. But it couldn't have been. It wouldn't have been amateur ground staff, would there? They, they would have no. Been a job. Yeah, yeah. That would then, be their yeah. job. What a shyster, ever he is. <laughs> this just sat in his little shed there, reading flipping men only when he should be doing some work. Fiesta. <laughs> yeah, razzle. <laughs> this razzle is razzle in the eighties. <laughs> no, like oh my god, someone, someone. Someone in 1980s pornography thought there was something remotely ro- exotic. Sorry about this, Steph. It's not grasshoppers. It's not a grasshopper. Go on. At one point, if someone think, I'll tell you what's nice, naked bums. <laughs> yeah, fair enough, I can see that. You like those? Yeah, they're good. I like those, Dave. What about, well, if you like those, imagine three naked bums. It'd be three times as nice, wouldn't it? <laughs> right, okay. Put them on top of each other. Right, go on. Go on. Yeah, do you like beans? Don't mind them. <laughs> Right, so obviously three times bums and beans, it's going to be even nicer, isn't it? No. <laughs> Why are you putting like just putting big beans over people? Do you like comic relief? <laughs> <laughs> There's a charity <laughs> element to put to this pornography. Sat there reading your razzle baked bean special. <laughs> and you should be up there. Should be up there forking the picture, lazy bastard. This, Do something. This is a, a topic I'm sure we'll come back to. But what? Baked bean well, porn? No, no, the p- pitches. <laughs> I really doubt it. It feels specific. But whenever whenever 70s or 80s or, or before, whenever footballers from before the very, very modern era are criticised, yeah. they would obviously be good enough to adapt. Oh, yeah. You know, I, I, I you, you can't tell me that... A first division footballer from 1975, given a modern ball, different boots, oh, and yeah. and yeah. you know a, a good pitch to play on, wouldn't almost instantly adapt yeah. his game. Although you take the groundsman up for the 1970s, 
and put him at, put him at the Emirates. And they think, what the fuck are you doing here? They're all on Max. There's like ten blokes on Max working out what temperature, how, how many millimeters the grass is. Imagine Reg walking in with his fork and his rabbit. <laughs> What are you doing and his, here? And his, and his golden Virginia little drum tobacco. Oh. That's, all that's all he's thinking of doing is smoking roll-ups and reading pornography. What, what are you doing, Reg? Liverpool are playing Everton on Saturday. Quite a big game, actually. Oh, it's a fucking horsey year show, isn't it? I'm going to have a weekend off. The horse of the year show. Hello, Wembley. Hiya, it's uh, it's uh, Clive from the Horse of the Year show, right? Could we use your pitch on Saturday and Sunday? We're going to leak up final next week. Yeah, that'd be fine, no problem. I, I've got to be honest, I am hoping that the dung actually improves the quality of the pitch because it does something to the soil. I agreed on the revisor we could keep all the dung. <laughs> So let's head into the documentary for this week. Uh, it is Ellis's choice this week. What have we got? This game um, is distilled into a 10-minute-long YouTube clip, which I've considered doing as one of my choices every week since week one, actually, because I think <laughs> it is one of the greatest moments in the history of sports, certainly one of the greatest moments in the history of football. Yeah. So the documentary for this week is 89, the story of Liverpool nil Arsenal to Alan Field, the decider of the 1988-89 First Division uh, title. Must be seconds left. Then it all goes into slow motion. Arsenal comes streaming forward now in surely what will be their last attack. I'm looking straight down the pitch and I'm thinking, this is my time. And I'm waiting and waiting. What are you doing? I remember shouting to kick it. It's up for Brad's now! Isn't it lovely to have moments in your life where you think, oh, nothing can beat that? Right, now the reason I think that... Liverpool nil Arsenal 2, May the 26th, 1989, is the greatest moment in the history of certainly club football. And I think the only one that could probably compare to it is United winning the treble. Well, United winning specifically the Champions League in 1999, mainly because of the magnitude of the game. I've got a particular bugbear about this game because I think it's been forgotten a little bit because of the way that football is marketed and sold in the post-Premier League era. So... Because of Sky, yeah. and I can understand it, whenever they discuss the greatest moments in the history of English club football, it's always Aguero! And yeah, don't get me wrong, what an amazing moment in the history of a game I love. But the reason that Liverpool Arsenal is better, well, there's plenty of reasons. Yeah. It turned the league into a cup final. This is the actual final game of the season and both teams can still win it. However, there are some caveats which just mean it's so delicately poised. Arsenal have to win by two. Now, Liverpool hadn't lost by two goals at Anfield for three years. Arsenal hadn't won there for 15 years. Liverpool (laughs) hadn't lost with uh, Russian Aldridge starting ever. The Daily Mirror famously said, you haven't got a prayer, Arsenal. Like, no one expected <laughs> Arsenal to do it. So, Arsenal are winning 1-0, and it's in the 91st minute, and John Barnes, who was one of the great 
creative talents in English football in the 1980s. He loses the ball and uh, Brian Moore, the commentator, says something. Arsenal have to do something really spectacular now to win it. And it Lee Dixon launches it forward and then he, and Michael Thomas scores. Now his well, Lucas ce- throws it out first. Yeah, yeah. His celebration, he's like a, he's like a beach dolphin, I always think, because he, he doesn't really know what to do with himself. <laughs> I really, really love that doc anyway. And it's weirdly, I'm, I'm a, a Liverpool fan, to, you know, for what it's worth. But you only watch something and you root against who you normally root for. So like when you watch Das Boot and you really want the German U-boat commander to do well against the RAF. <laughs> right? I was watching that. I was watching that, willing them to get the second goal against Liverpool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it was such a, such a good story. The bit that I loved, Al, you'd be unsurprised to hear this, right? Oh, and there was lots of stuff to love in that documentary. But at the end, I thought, imagine now, it's a really sunny day, right? It's a, it's a nice day, you've had a great time. You can't get a ticket to Anfield. You watch the game. It must have been incredible to watch that game in the pub with your mates just down the road from, from Highbury, right? You just you thought it couldn't get any better. You, you've won the, probably the best game of football ever, certainly the, the best result I've ever seen when there was that much on it, right? And then the phone goes at like 2 o'clock in the morning and the, and the barman says, Arsenal's on the way down. They'll be here in an hour. Yeah. <laughs> And fucking hell, the whole team turned up to play pool with you and give you their ties yeah. and out and start singing with you and dancing with you. It must have been the best night of your life. You 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 never want that to end because they had nowhere to go. Yeah, because they got back yeah. so late. They end up in winners' nightclub. Winners' nightclub. I know. It's a brilliant bit. With that, bloke, there wouldn't have been a better place in Britain that day. There was there was there was that bloke who was just who was just a big Arsenal fan, and he's been on the piss with the team. I know. <laughs> He says, it was up by six in the morning, so they've just stopped serving. Me and Tony Adams go to the local news agent and we're just sat on the floor of the pavement reading the papers. I know. First edition of the papers. How good was it? Just exceptional. But when I think of Arsenal in that era, it's boring, boring Arsenal. Yeah. You know. Um, the offside trap. and Yeah, yeah, the offside trap. Four four defenders with their arms up pleading for offside. Winterburn, Bold, you know, Adams and yeah. Dixon. And the thing with Wenger, what he did, he completely transformed the DNA of Arsenal Football Club because that wasn't a George Graham thing. That had been in Arsenal's DNA for 70 years, yeah. since the age of Herbert Chapman. So Herbert Chapman, who was their manager in the 30s, you could make a very good argument that he's the greatest manager of all time, certainly greatest British manager of all time. He basically invented defensive football. So he, so he was playing five at the back and it just made his teams very, very hard to beat. Yeah. So he won the league three times on the trot with Huddersfield in the 20s. And then he would have won the league three times on the trot with Arsenal, but he died in halfway through the third season. Of boredom. So... <laughs> was that bit with the back four where they're all playing cards and chatting in the documentary and they're talking about training sessions where they wouldn't have a football... They would yeah, literally just do formation. You will walk here. This happens. You move there. Yeah. And Steve Bold saying you wouldn't get players no. of this generation to do and that. Trainers, the trainers seem to be running up a mountain and doing press ups. <laughs> <laughs> and also a manager who was a, a, an on-field tracksuit manager. Good looking boy, mind. Yeah, yeah. Good looking fella. Oh. But he's, he's given so, he's given them advice at one point on putting their elbows out so yeah. that no one yeah, goes around. This is the top flight of 
British football at the time. Get yeah. your elbows up. And, Good idea, George. Yeah, get your elbows out and stop them from going around the side of you. That's a training session at an actual football club. Not like yeah, the sevens. Yeah. And with throw-ins, but both hands on the ball. <laughs> All right, thanks, George. There's the bloke on his knees in the pub. Yeah. He is ecstatic. Yeah. Like, absolutely yeah. ecstatic. Double denim. Fuck. I would love to be him at that particular moment in time. He is on top of the world. It's also it's a great choice of um, it's a great choice of music, great choice of art guy footage as well. Gotta get up, gotta get up, gotta get up. Gotta get up, gotta get up, gotta. I tell you, and you'll know more again than me, Al. But for me, that game up until that point, it was always like the FA Cup was still the big was like the marquee event in, yeah. in English football, and I think that that. That particular end to that season is what cemented the league title as being the thing that the fans really wanted to win. Well, you, that, you, you that say that and I'd agree. And also, it's a hugely significant game because it really, really proved to broadcasters, Rupert Murdoch in particular, that there was an appetite for um, league, league football life on the telly. Yeah. The first live league game for more than 20 years was broadcast in October 1983 so before that the Football League they refused to allow games to be shown live really? because they, 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 they thought it would adversely affect attendances so it was this Michael Thomas moment that I think and, and the Italian 90 World Cup did an yeah. awful lot to change the image yeah. of certainly of English football the, the shot of Tony Adams the day after where they have the sort of victory parade yeah and he's on top of... Is that the front of Highbury? That he's no, on, I, th- I of? think it's Islington Town Hall, I think. Okay. Yeah. And he, he's on top of... Which looks really precarious. Yeah, yeah, Because yeah. it doesn't look like there's a window he could have got out of to no. be there. It looks no. like he must have climbed. And he sweated through his yeah. suit. Yeah, Lee Evans style. <laughs> there's a bit where they're showing the bus, the, the bus parade through um, through North London there. Yeah. If you watch it, there's, a, there's a, at least two people on the right-hand side they're essentially sitting on a, like a five-story roof with their feet dangling off the yeah. edge. I thought, what the That's hell are you doing? That's fine. Chilling. Al, you like this. Just Whenever I see an open-top bus parade yeah. after a team's done well, I am immediately, my mind goes back to when Swansea got promoted. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? So embarrassed. I've got to say it's this. So right? embarrassed. Swansea got embarrassed. <laughs> Go on. They, someone at some point would have phoned up Swansea Council and gone, all right, this says the Swansea it is what it is. <laughs> We've got promotion to the Premier League and we'd like to borrow the uh, Swansea City's uh, municipal open-top tourist bus. At which point someone has said, are you taking the bus? Right, there isn't one. Right? Yeah. So, get it, so the, their open-top bus had a visit Bath on the side yeah. of there, right? No. They didn't borrow it from... Yeah, it's borrowed from Bath on the West Coast. <laughs> so this shows the Swansea team on this visit Bath. Right? <laughs> But then the bit they show, and Swansea's lovely, right? My wife's a Swansea girl. There's some beautiful parts of Swansea. Some absolutely stunning. The Swansea Bay is gorgeous. I love the Gower, right? The bit they show on the Welsh News was the Swans on top of the Visit Bath bus yeah. going from the private sex shop, <laughs> which is down by the theatre, <laughs> up to Chickenland in the corner. Right? <laughs> 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 Absolutely brilliant. Well, the the thing that will never fail to blow my mind is why didn't they cover up the visit bath? Thank it wouldn't them. have taken long. Like, with a Swansea flag, who knows? Yeah. Something like daft like that, you know? <laughs> Something like promotion winners. Something like that. 
Is oh, it Bath? God. It looks like Brendan Rodgers is taking them on a day trip to Bath to celebrate. Yeah, yeah. It's a Chicoland. Look at the Chicoland. They've all bought vibrators, not enough to Chicoland. How else would you celebrate being in the top flight of British football? But plug it. But plug it. Stick it some Stick some lube on my up, chips with me. Up the swans, literally. <laughs> Let's go round two of clips then, gentlemen. Uh, Mike, you go first, mate. Right, this is... I'm just getting used to technology, to be honest, Steph. I'm much more into my sort of Kojak and my professionals, but... Um, <laughs> I'm just... Uh, Define that. Def- well, you're just getting into technology. Well, because one of our Twitter followers very kindly sent this clip in, thought it'd be just right up our alley, and it is. That's why I've picked it. And once again, I'm failing to credit the person who's given us this... Good. Twitter clip. But, but you know what? They'll know who they are. So That's the important thing. In that, in I that. like that. You know, there's an intrinsic reward. If Steve Wright's Sunday Love Songs worked on that basis, it would be <laughs> shit. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I mean, that's, you know who you are. Mm, you're prefacing that with it isn't shit anyway, by the way. So, uh, <laughs> so this is called, this is the little clip called The Crawl. So just, this is the end of uh, an Iron Man triathlon. Uh, with a, a lady called Wendy Ingram and a woman called Sean Welsh, I believe. After more than 140 miles, it's come down to less than 100 feet to that damn line. Right, so this is, I mean, I can, I can say this because nobody died. It's hilarious. <laughs> right? If someone had died, I probably would have given it a couple of years. Well, it's been 20 years now. Because um, you see the first woman hone into, hone into view, and she looks in a very, very bad way. Like, I've been tired before, right? <laughs> and, and but she looks really tired, right? And she keep, keeps looking around. And I'm, I'm watching this thinking, she's in first place, and she doesn't want to lose it at this late stage, right? And they mentioned she's 140 miles into this triathlon, and there's literally about 30 feet to go, right? Yeah. Uh, she keeps looking around, and then she she sees her rival. At which point she collapses. I suppose that there's just no energy left in her body whatsoever. Yeah. Her rival sees probably sees her go down, and she starts making uh, making a break for it in what can only be described as the funniest <laughs> running style I've ever seen. Right? She looks full on like she shit herself and broken her back while doing it. Right? Because she's sort of I don't know what she's doing. I'm not knocking the woman, right? And my wife's like, you you couldn't do that. I said, do you know what? If I look like that, I don't want to do that. <laughs> because I don't know what she's doing. She's she got like a gold unitard on. But she's walking in a... Like she's sort of bent 45 degrees from the waist. But her legs couldn't stop a pig in a passage. They're completely... <laughs> just completely bowed, her legs are, right? So then she... <laughs> then she catches up with with... The woman who's in, yeah. in front and and falls over, right? <laughs> Trips over her because she's on the floor. Yeah. At which point they're both on the floor and they can't get up, right? And they've now got about 15 feet to go. And they're crawling on their hands and knees, right? But it's, that's not the funniest bit, right? So there's a, there's a change of lead, right? So the, the woman who, who shut herself with a broken back <laughs> gets over the line first, right? Yeah. Then the other woman comes up just after her, helped on the final bit by, you know, she's 
the, the, the girl just beating her, grabs her arm and pulls her over. And I'm thinking, oh, God, you know, maybe this ends really badly. But they're, they're both they're both medically fine, right? At which point, the commentator is this real cheesy American commentary on it as well, who says, um, I can't, I'll paraphrase it, she finally won her battle. <laughs> For fourth place, <laughs> I thought you gotta be you gotta be shitting me, right? <laughs> fourth place, not even a medal, nothing. Not, she, oh, and part of me thinks when I watch things like triathlon, I think good for you, right? Yeah. If you're doing that, I know you like your triathlon stuff, right? Yeah, I'm training but for that, an Ironman. You've at the signed up to that, right? Yeah, you've you've signed up. You know, people say we should. I said I'm going to laugh at them because they're the ones yes. who've decided to do something that, fr- frankly, the human body's not designed to do, right? Steph, is- did I did I just hear you correctly? You say you're training for an Ironman. I mean, I'm drinking a lot of beer right now, but yeah, I am training for an Ironman. Right, yeah. just just for me because my brother-in-law does triathlons. What's an Ironman? So an Ironman is a two and a half, well, two point four mile swim. Too too far. Uh, 112 mile bike. That is nuts. And then the 26.2 mile. A marathon. Yeah. 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 My. my... If you do that, Steph, you're a knob. And I, I respect <laughs> you. Right? And I like well, you. you obviously don't respect me to the point where you don't want to call me a knob. Well, no, I don't. No, I, I think I respect you enough to be able to call I you do. a knob. <laughs> <laughs> if anything, because I'm too honourable. The, the human body's not designed to do that, is it? We'll find out. Here's the thing, right? Why? My dad's got two maxims when it comes to these kind of events. You always, oh, well, an Iron Man. It's, it's, it's unhealthy, actually. It's not good for you. You shouldn't be doing it. Well, you can see that from the video just now. Uh, the, other, the other one he thinks is unhealthy is those cryogenic chambers that rugby players and footballers nowadays sit in oh, to, yeah, a, the to age recovery. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, why? Uh, why is it? Why? They're going to find out in years to come that it's it's making their bones bones brittle or something. There's no way. There's no way that can't be. That can't be right. I mean, there is science that says that heat recovery is better than the freezing recovery. But is there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think a lot of the American footballers now have like these sort of massive hair dryers, if you like. Cyclical, mate. Isn't it? It's all yeah. cyclical. It'll all come back in one day, mate. Smoking, drinking. <laughs> Scampi and chips. <laughs> Jimmy Greaves eating, eating pie and chips at five to three. Then he goes out, Magical. stands with his hands on his hips for 90 minutes and then scores a hat-trick. Have you ever tried to run across a road when you're really pissed? Well, there's nothing worse. When, you, when you're staring at... I wonder if she's doing what I do when I'm that pissed. And I haven't been that pissed for a long time. Yeah. Is look at your own feet yes. and laugh at the fact that you can't put one in front of the other. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or you know you're going to fall over before you do. I just start swearing to myself at that point, going, you, start, you daft prick, you daft prick. And I start laughing, watching my feet, thinking, what am I doing? Just put left foot, right foot. It's easy, right? How do you train for a 112-mile bike ride, a marathon, and a 2.4-mile swim that all happens on, this, that happens on the same day? That's the difficult part of it, is getting that out of your head that you've just done the swim. You've just got to do it. And enjoy that and endure it. And then once it's done, don't think about it again for the rest See, of the day. Enjoy and endure shouldn't be in the same sentence. You can enjoy it or endure it. I remember watching Kelly, my missus, did a, she was doing a half marathon up in Milton Keynes, near where her friend lives. Yeah. Um, so she sort of built up, did a couple of 5Ks and stuff. And then she did a 10K. I went to go and see her do this 10K in Cardiff. She looked in bloody agony. There's that, I've never understood that you against the road thing. 
But yeah, like, but I think that's the, what it the is. Rose, it? The roads never slag me out. <laughs> let the road go. Just let the road get on with being a road. I'm happy with that. <laughs> the biggest problem, the problem I got with things like that, right? Yeah. And this is a, this will be an unpopular. Oh, go on. Is when they close down an entire town or village. Like I, yeah. I've gigged before. Like I think I was in Nottingham. I was trying to get out of Nottingham. I gig fr- Friday, Saturday in Nottingham yeah. at the Glee Club up there. I think on the Sunday there was some sort of triathlon or some half marathon going on. And I just couldn't get out of the city for about an hour and a half. There was all one-way systems and stuff. And I was freaking. And then when they, when they had the Cardiff half marathon last year, I was in my car. I was just trying to go about my my daily business. Yeah, I must have been two hours to go about two miles. And I just thought, why, right? I don't understand. If you want to do it, do it. My, my point is this, right? If you want to play football, you play in a football pitch. Rugby's on a rugby pitch. If you want to cycle, go to a velodrome. You know, if you want to swim, go to a pool, right? If you want to run, go to a frigging running track, right? Because, because most of Britain, and I, when I say most, I, I tweeted about this at the time. When I say most, I mean the vast, vast majority of Britain isn't roads, right? <laughs> so run on those bits of Britain. <laughs> don't, run on the bit, don't run on the bits where the fucking cars go. And, and people say, oh, they, we, we've got as much ready on the road as you have, mate. No, you haven't, because this is a road. I, I don't go and play a game of rugby in the middle of the M4. That doesn't happen. <laughs> Right, it wouldn't happen. You wouldn't. You wouldn't go to the, like a mainstream car and have a game of tennis. They'd, they'd think you'd lost your marbles, right? <laughs> but they'll shut down the whole town for people to go jogging, right? And my point is, if if that's okay, then why can't I go and drive my car on Leckworth running track when you're having a practice? <laughs> right? Faster. If, we're, we're either all of this together or we're not in it together, right? If you tell me my car doesn't belong on your running track, <laughs> you don't belong on my road. I think that's fair enough. Uh, I'd love to see the arresting officer as you're tearing <laughs> up. <laughs> yeah. i got nothing against runners. <laughs> but I'm just... I don't see why the need to shut down an entire town or city... And they say, it's only one day a year. I say, oh, that's all right then. But it's my day. <laughs> why do you decide what I can do in my day? I think that feeling... What's really interesting now is riding your bike around now because there are less cars on the road. It's a, yeah. lot of, it's a lot of fun. I bet it is. I, I, the, the problem, I mean, cycling is so dangerous in this country. Yeah. Like Cardiff Council, I don't know if it's the same in the rest of the UK. I don't know, right? But their version of a cycle lane is to paint a gutter red. <laughs> it's more dangerous to ride in the bike lane than in the rest of the lane because... It is in Cardiff bike lanes. It makes them narrower than a bike. I think I could do a 100-mile bike ride. I don't think... I, absolutely, I absolutely couldn't do a marathon at the end of it. Make that's, a swimmer be absolutely... A two-and-a-half-mile sea swim is unbelievable. I am a terrible swimmer. I'd be equal parts bored <laughs> and knackered and just unenthusiastic. I just wouldn't want to... I just wouldn't want to as soon as it started hurting me, I'd just go, I'm not doing this. Stop. <laughs> Simple. I reckon, I reckon I'd be... I'd jump in the sea. I'm not a very good swimmer anyway. Yeah. I think within probably 80 metres, I've had enough. I'm <laughs> going home. Kids are there. We put the whole day out. I don't out. give a fuck about the sponsors. Because that pisses me off as well, sponsorship. I don't, I'm not a big believer in, you know, I always think it's almost like money, for, you know, through menaces. <laughs> I, I, I raise a lot of money for charity. I don't talk about it. I don't put it on my Twitter profile like some people, right? Don't call myself, you know, I, I, do, my, I do my fair share. Yeah. But if you said, right, Steph, if you say to me tomorrow, yeah. mate, do me a favour, what's that, Steph? Uh, give me, give me a tenner. What for? I'm raising money for the NSPCC. Have it, mate. There's your tenner. I have twenty, right? If you said to me, mate, do you want to sponsor me for the NSPCC? What do you mean sponsor you? 
I'll do the Cardiff Half Marathon for the NSPCC. I say, fuck off. <laughs> right? Because you're not going to guilt me into it. I say, here's 20 quid for not to not do it. <laughs> Let's call you a bluff. Let's call you a bluff. You care so much. I'll give you twice as much to not do it. <laughs> then see what you're going to do. Right, Al. You are up next. <laughs> uh, right, Alice, you're up next for round number two. What have you brought to the table? This is a tribute to Mike Bubbins, the <laughs> PE teacher I never had. Oh, uh, uh, so good. I love this film, like 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 anyone growing up in Wales. As a as a kid, all the films I watched were American. So it was actually, I was actually quite old before I saw the UK, you know, on, on the silver screen. If you ever had a PE lesson in a state comprehensive school, you will recognise this. This is the famous football scene uh, from Kes. That's not goal ball! That's not goal ball! Have a look at a minute! Come here, Kevin. Been two teams. You were captain. Right, line up in the halfway line quickly. Our first break, budget. That's not fair, sir. You're going to have best players. Do you want to play football? I'd you want to do some maths? Budget, then. Come here. Speed. Walker. Clark. Crossland. Low. It's a great film. Oh, it's I am... heartbreaking as well. Oh, yeah. But that scene is hilarious. <laughs> what I, what I love about it... hilarious. What I love about it... ...is... I'm 39. I'm, I'm an adult. I'm 40, almost 40. 40 this year. Yeah. And I've got a little Euro 2020 mini football. You know the size one footballs that you yeah, get. Yeah. Hmm. So I, I I play that with my with my son and he loves it. And the setty is a is a goal. And every time I dribble past a doll's house and score a goal against the city, I am I'm Aaron Ramsey in, in my head. And Living vicariously, you know, through others. If you're a, if you're a sports fan, I I don't know when that is going to end. So, I scored a goal um, in comedians football a couple of months ago. I'm still thinking about it, but in my head, I'm John Charles or Ryan Giggs. Yeah. And that is clearly what Brian Glover's character is doing in this in this in this scene. Brilliant. And I, I I don't know when that when that goes. When does that go? I don't think it hasn't gone. Does, it, it hasn't gone yet. No, I was doing my 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 allowed exercise today. It was to walk over the the, the local park with my wife and my kids, and we had a little quick game of uh, quick cricket. Yeah, my daughter my daughter's seven. Yeah, so we play with a we play with a wind ball like a a, a rubber yeah, yeah. ball, and I give her an underarm ball and she hit it quite nicely, and I sprinted. I mean, I legged yeah. it to make this beautiful left-handed catch. Right? <laughs> And I ran past her screaming, <laughs> How's that? Get out! Get out! Yeah. And you're Ben Stokes. Oh, yeah. She, she just looked like Dad, you <laughs> yeah. dick. Right? <laughs> but I was thrilled. It was a great catch. Man. i got to yeah. say that for myself. But, yeah, I don't think it ever changes me. The best with that clever one is when um, he takes the penalty the first yes. time. Yes. The kid saves it. You moved. He goes, right, you moved. You, you moved. moved. You bloody moved. Take that again. Take it that again. Oh my god! But wait, that ball's that bloody iron. <laughs> we used to have a PE teacher in in school. I absolutely worshipped a bloke called uh, Tony Hodge, who looked like uh, looked like Tom Selleck in his in his Magnum days. We all called him Magnum. Yeah. 
and he was he was just to, to crack us up. I mean, I, I think everyone's got that P oh, teacher. Absolutely. He would he would sit on a deck chair. And I went to an all boys comp. It was the biggest it was the biggest all boys comp in the country. 1800, 1800 boys, right? In Barry, which is you know, it's not it's fairly fairly tough. Um, I can just remember him like in the summer term, and he was a good looking bastard, black hair, big black moustache. He used to have these striped blue and white striped speedos, right? And in the summer term, he'd be sat on a deck chair. For, if he was on, ever on dinner duty, which you had to do in those days, if you don't do it now, he'd be sat on his deck chair in his speedos with a pair of Ray-Ban aviators on, just sunbathing. <laughs> and there could be fights going on left, right and centre. <laughs> sir, 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 sir. Right up, I was fighting. And he just, shh. <laughs> finger, finger, finger to his lips. Shh. <laughs> because he was, that was sunbathing time. That's Tony time. Right? That's <laughs> Tony time. I'd love to play with one of those old 60s hard, heavy balls just to see what it was like. But I, I, they don't make footballs like that anymore. I just would love to see what it's like. I remember I had a, a really good rugby ball when I was when I was young, sort of eight or nine maybe. And Dad had gone to a meeting in Bristol, and I think he felt guilty, so he'd bought me a rugby ball from a sports shop on his lunch break or something. Right. And he came back... He said, oh, I bought you a new rugby ball. You know, do you want to be playing with the old one? I bought you a new rugby ball. So I, I, went, so I went out and tried it, and it was too hard. I didn't like it, so I went back to my old one. Oh, you absolute fan. Yeah, well, that's basically what my that's dad what said. God, what a disappointment so, for your so dad. He, so he had his tea. It's too hard, Dad. He had his tea. He's <laughs> slogging his bollocks off, driving a bristle and back. He buys you a ball, and the goodness of his heart. I... I I think what he'd done was he bought an American football by mistake, actually, because it was just it was just different. It wasn't like a rugby ball. It was just too hard, right? Just put up with it, Al. Anyway, he came out after he'd had his tea. I was in a ball going. Oh, don't I, tell him. I don't like it, Dad. I oh, said it's too hard. You and he went, he went, what do you mean it's too hard? Was he bored on a tea? What do you mean, really? It's too hard. What's wrong with you? And I said, I said, every time I kick it, it hurts my foot. He went, too hard. Right, give me the ball, give me the ball, give me the ball. <laughs> and he took the shoes off and he kicked it over the house. <laughs> <laughs> Top man. And so he should have. <laughs> Limp, limping back indoors. <laughs> his yeah. tassels gone. <laughs> is, that where he, is that where he got the limp from, is it? <laughs> Like my memory of my the PE teachers in school, apart from like seeing them in the speedos, was on parents' evening, they all had really shit suits. Yes. I'm going to tell you another story about a teacher. I'm, well, I'm not going to tell you the name, right, for obvious reasons. When this, uh, and if I'm asked, I shall say I was joking about this. I made it up, happened, right? Yeah, I made this. I made up, this up to okay? impress my friends. Go on. But ima- imagine this had happened to me when I was 15, right? So, <laughs> PE teacher said to us, do you fancy Wimbledon, lads? Right? Right. I said, yeah, yeah, Wimbledon. Yeah. Great, this would be about 87. Yeah, definitely. Great, we'll go to Wimbledon tomorrow. No forms, no nothing, right? <laughs> right. Next day we get to school, get in, get in the minibus, or most of the rugby team, like 14, 15 lads, and the teacher driving up there. Drove for hours to get to Wimbledon. Right, get to Wimbledon. It's boiling hot day. He parked at the minibus. He said, "I want the sort of tickets, lads. You wait here. I'll get the tickets. You wait here for me." He parks the minibus. So we just sat now in South West London in a bus. You know, f- yeah, a bunch of fifteen-year-olds in a minibus for about 
45 minutes on our own. <laughs> and then he comes back and goes, oh, sold out. <laughs> right. right. He hadn't pre-booked him. Really oh, sir. Oh, just call. Sorry, lads. We'll have to go back. Yeah. So he just turns the bus round, drives back to friggin' Barry, right? It gets better, right? Because he was like, he was always one of the boys. He was a, he was a great oh. bloke. So we get, we stop at the first services, and he says to us, "I've laid down today, boys." <laughs> <laughs> So he gave us like a pound each for our ticket money, right? Uh, to, to go and play on the Space Invaders for a piece. So meet me back here in 40 minutes, right? So we're going to play Space Invaders, whatever. We came back in. And, uh, and then we keep, we get back, we start driving. So we were in the bus for hours by this point, right? And then we stopped just for the Seven Bridge. So you've got to get some diesel for the for the bus, right? <laughs> he gets out of the out of the minibus, goes into the shop there. And we're all fucking, oh, I can't believe he's done this to me. <laughs> All having a bit of a grumble. It's a bit, we're boiling a lot as well, right? Grumble is not happening, obviously. So he comes back and opens the sliding door. The side door goes. I've let you down today, lads. I'm really sorry. That's oh, sorry, right, sir. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. He gave us like a razzle each right? <laughs> <laughs> to apologise. <laughs> so. so <laughs> He drove back to Barry. Dropped us off. <laughs> well, I was fifteen. Oh. This is pre-internet. If you'd have oh. said to me at the beginning of the day, "Do you want to watch Jimmy Connors or have a razzle?" The razzle wins every day of the week. <laughs> he didn't have to go through the charade of the bus journey. <laughs> oh my god! Genuine, oh. genuine. God. Oh, my stomach hurts. I know. Bloody uh, hell! Got beans on these. Oh. Have a razzle. The bean special. <laughs> these. Baked bean Wimbledon special. <laughs> so when we scratch your eyes and down the back. <laughs> Tennis skirts on, no knickers. So we tip so the tinner hides. So when we dress up like Bjorn Borg. Right, my pick for round number two is. Who cares? <laughs> 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 it's such a long way to go for pay on the day. What do you mean sold out? Oh. I've, got, I've got 15 lads in a van out there. Imagine how he'd have felt as well in the ticket office. He'd have felt like <laughs> such Can I a have one adult and 15, uh, 15, kids. 15 kids to centre court, please? No, of course you can't. It's the men's final. Sold out for six months. <laughs> Some of the most famously oversubscribed sporting events in Britain. <laughs> Tickets to Ivan Lendl against John McEnroe on Centre Court. Yeah. <laughs> All right, then, court number one. <laughs> number two. No, no that's sold, sold out as well. Oh, okay. Oh, please, please give I... me a different answer. Court number 14. <laughs> Was it 15 copies? Or one for you all to share? No, one each. Wow. But we, we we brought ticket money. We'd given him the ticket money. So, so he'd used your money to buy Porn Max. <laughs> <laughs> and, and Space Invaders, to be fair to him. 
Oh, God. Oh, my God. I'd love to know what the uh, lady at WH Smith's uh, Lee Delamere services made of it. She was like... <laughs> She's trying to hide 15 copies of Razzle inside a copy of The Times. The school oh. name on the side of the bus. <laughs> some, <laughs> some sort of remorseless porn addict. Just really likes the same thing. I'm, I'm getting through them quite quickly, actually. <laughs> no need to scan them all individually. It's fine. Just type in 15 times. Just type in 15. Right. I have got a man who changed a sport in my mind or certainly brought a new dimension to a sport that wasn't there before. Uh, this is... A bunch of montages, because no one's pulled together all the best bits, of Jonty Rhodes of South Africa uh, oh. fielding. He was kind of the king of the run out, kind of the king of catching. Um, have a watch with you. Yeah. Have to hurry. He's got him, I think. Straight to Jonty Rhodes and call for the single. Lara knows he's gone. One stump at which to aim. Lara not even in the picture. So what I like about John T. Rhodes is just watching him run out fat batsmen more than anything. The catches are sublime. He does a brilliant one off uh, Robert Croft when Croft was playing for England where both of his feet are off the ground and he kind of juggles it yeah. and then catches it at a second attempt. Um, he takes five catches in a match against the West Indies. But when he runs out in Zamam in the World Cup and he decides that throwing the ball is actually slower than him running and diving through the air like he's Superman and he takes out all three wickets and the bails, it's just the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. He's the first cricketer I can remember, or maybe the, maybe the last cricketer I remember, that was known just for his fielding. Yeah. He ch- yeah, yeah, everyone that knew Jonty Rhodes because of his fielding. Yeah. And, and they reckoned he was worth 30 runs, a, you know, 30 runs a match just in the field. And he was the first cricketer to see fielding as the third discipline yes. after bowling and Not batting. just an afterthought, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, yeah, normally it's something you do either when you're waiting to bat or in between your bowling. And he'd always sort of field in that sort of point or, or backward point where you're getting the real sort of slashing, really fast balls coming at you. Yeah. And not a lot of time to react to it. Like, some of that stuff is much too quick for the camera to pick up. You know, by the time the camera's got there, Rhodes has already thrown the ball back. Yeah. And the, yeah, there's a few run-outs there where you see the stumps flying. And you're like, whoa. And when you play any sort of level of cricket, cricket, catching a cricket ball close, coming fast at a shit level, is quite painful. Yes. When you've got the best batsman in the world slashing a ball at you, Probably upwards of 90 miles an hour. Yeah. That hurts. Since him, you look at De Villiers, uh, Collingwood, I guess, for England, guys who you know, really have made fielding as much their thing as anything else. You know, you can talk about Ben Stokes, the bowler or the batter, but mm. some of the catches he made last summer was, yeah. were off the scale. There is something, I think, quite primal and mesmerising about brilliant catching. Yes. Like a brilliant catch in cricket or baseball, there's just something about it. Because also, every, even if you hate sports... It's aesthetically pleasing. It, it's aesthetically pleasing, but you've played catch. There's not, a, there's not a human on earth that hasn't played catch at some stage. And my, my daughter's five, and in the last three months, 
She's now old enough where you can play catch with. You don't have to be 18 inches away, basically throw it into her cradled arms. You yeah. can actually... You can actually play a game of catch. And catch is fun. Like, it's actually fun. It's a fun game. Yeah. So to see to, to see the world's best catcher in action is brilliant. Uh, right, let's go to books, guys. Uh, Ellis, what have you got? I've chosen Fever Pitch, which is, I think, my favourite book ever. Yeah. And a book I've read about... 10 times probably, I could relate to every single line of this book. It's brilliant. And it was one of those books, it came along at a time when I was old enough to appreciate it, but also young enough to effectively memorise it. It's brilliant on masculinity. It's brilliant on class. Yeah. He is exceptional on fandom. The game we've already discussed, the Liverpool-Arsenal game at Anfield in May 89, uh, provides a fantastic finale to the book itself. The passage I'm going to read from, but he makes the point that he, even though he's this obsessive fan of Arsenal, he begins to suspect that his relationship is actually with Highbury, the ground. Yeah. And he hasn't missed a, a game at Highbury, a home game for years. So he's talking about the prospect of missing one. But it gets harder and harder and sometimes hurting someone is unavoidable. The Charlton game was rearranged for the same night as a very close friend's birthday party, a party to which only five people had been invited. Once I realised that there was a conflict of interest, there was the usual brief panic as I contemplated a home game taking place without me, and then I phoned her with a heavy heart and told her what had happened. I was hoping for a laugh and absolution, but I got neither, and from the sound of her voice and the disappointment and tired impatience it contained, I understood that I wasn't going to. Instead, she said one of those awful things, you must do what you think is right, or you must do what you want to do, something like that. One of those chilling deliverances designed to find you out. And I said that I'd have to think about it, but we both knew that I wasn't going to think about it at all, that I'd been exposed as the worthless, shallow worm I was, and I went to the game. I was glad I went too. Paul Davis scored one of the best goals I've ever seen at Highbury, a diving head after he sprinted the length of the pitch following a Charlton attack. <laughs> So I've gone for a football book as well, but I've gone for what is a series of books. I've gone for the messy version of it. It's a series of kids. I've probably spent more of my time reading kids' football books over the past few years because I've got three kids than I have reading grown-ups' sports books. And these ones are really good because they're written as autobiographies of the players. So it goes right the way back to their sort of childhood, something the kids can relate to, and then brings it to the modern day of them. They're called Ultimate Football Heroes. They're by um, brothers called Matt and Tom Oldfield. And they just kind of go right away from the playground to the modern day. They're all about the heroes that they know. So there's Iniesta, Neymar, Suarez. I think they brush over the biting thing in the Suarez one. Uh, <laughs> it's not really that relatable. Well, it's probably very relatable for some of the toddlers. Uh, but they're just a fantastic thing. If you have got kids, and I know a lot of people who are listening to the podcast have, then they are a real good entry level for any kind of sports literature. I know it's not highbrow, I know it's not whatever, but it is an incredible series of books. Well, this is, I mean, this would, if it wasn't in lockdown, now we'd be at the uh, Hay on Hay on White Book Festival uh, with my wife and my kids. Um, there's a huge, well, there's a lot of second-hand bookstores there, mm. but the one has got a massive section that just has um, 
brilliant books from the 60s and the 70s, and that's where I bought the, the Jerry Kramer book that I mentioned, I think, in the first pod. Um, so this one I bought up there, this is called Barry John's World of Rugby. It's just a lot of, it's a lot of, uh, a lot of authors um, doing small sections on parts of the game they find interesting. So Where Are England's Goal Kickers is the first chapter, and it talks about this, is, this was end of the 70s. Yeah. Like we talked about earlier, that England didn't have a goal kicker. It's fairly hard to think of that now, but they just didn't put any stock in it. Um, there's a bit looking to the future with Max Boyce. There's a, there's a really good bit there by Barry John talking about violence in rugby. And we obviously talked about the um, Battle of Cardiff earlier. And I mentioned about there's a difference in, uh, in, in sort of fisticuffs, which I think is fine, and skullduggery, which is different. And there's a bit here where Barry John says, now Barry John was obviously, he was a incredibly talented mercurial outside off. He was, he was no scrapper. So he says, um, it would be stupid, naive and unrealistic to assume that in a game such as rugby, with its physical side, everyone on the field would conduct themselves like perfect gentlemen and play like chessmen. The players and the referees alike, except the frustration and pure accident, can trigger off incidents where a fist or two will fly. The important factor is that these are not premeditated and are recognised as such, although a referee has every right to act and give marching orders in such cases. What concerns me is the growing cold plan tactics where it's quite obvious to everybody that there was no provocation whatsoever. And it's just a really interesting to see uh, the game of rugby across the globe through through eyes, you know, forty years ago. Right. We asked you guys to send us in um, some seventies and eighties theme tunes from the world of sport that you're managing to play uh, during lockdown. Uh, Simon McMail has recorded the sports night theme for us. <laughs> That's very, very cool. All inspired by the original uh, Secret Guitarist. Uh, keep your guesses coming in for that. Uh, if you go to wherever you download your podcast from, give us a five-star review and then leave your guess there for us. That's the easiest place for us to find them. Um, Eggsy from GLC says... Uh, Good lad. D-F-H-R-D-V-V. That is his guess. Uh, obviously a fan of our original Twitter handle. Um <laughs> James Dean Bradfield says Stephen Baker. Uh, Ellis James says Steve O'Nick. And Bubbins says Polo Boy UK. Spoiler alert, it is not me. <laughs> <laughs> so if you want to get in touch with us uh, about any of uh, the clips, if you want to send us some ideas for documentaries as well, um, go to the Facebook page, Distant Pod on Facebook. We're on Twitter and Instagram, Distant Pod there as well you can find us uh, wherever you want to yeah i just wanted to uh, finish the pod this week um with a dedication didn't want to mention this off the top so one of my very best friends a fellow called uh, craig marshall we're doing this on saturday he passed away last night on friday so i lived with him in toronto when we played rugby he was a scrum half and an all-round great bloke introduced me to uh, to red wine and uh, and some of the finer things in life um just an amazing an amazing man that i that i well, I'm already missing, but I'm sorry I'm missing greatly going forward. Um, just wanted to tell you a quick story about Craig, and we talk about what sport means to all of us, and um, 
two little things spring to my mind when I think about Craig. One was we played a, a pre-season tour uh, for Toronto Welsh, was our, was our club team over there, down in Pennsylvania. And we stayed in a, a little a sort of days in motel there. And all the boys said, we're going to meet by the pool, have a couple of beers by the pool. So they all wore their you know, uh, board shorts, they call them these days, yeah. I suppose. I came out with my European issue. Um, I had these like very bright, like neon uh, speedos. Right? <laughs> <laughs> and they'd never seen anything like it. And I, I walked to the pool. I, I thought nothing of it. This should be about 92. And uh, Craig went, he went, he goes, Bubbins, what the hell are you doing? I went, I said, what do you mean? He goes, for Christ's sake, man, go and put some shorts on. I said, no, I'm, I'm wearing these. These, these, <laughs> these, what a swimming, these are dude. swimming trunks. They're swimming trunks, mate. He said, and he, this line stuck with me. He said, you look like two pounds of jelly in a one pound bag. <laughs> right? And that, that I, never, I never forgot that. But then the, the other one that, that, I, that I loved about, about Craig was we played a team called Brock, which is about an hour and a half north of Toronto. And they, we talk about why we play and why we watch. And they built their own clubhouse. They're 40 years old this year, so at the time they'd be about 20 years old. They built their own clubhouse, this cabin in the woods. They built their own pitch, made their own posts. And they were great lads, really tough game of rugby. And then afterwards, um, we'd, we'd won. That's irrelevant, really. But the, the clubhouse, because they, they made it themselves, there was no sort of internal plumbing. So for the showers, they ran a pipe, like a hose pipe, on the outside of the back of the clubhouse with some shower heads on it. Yeah. And then a, just a gravel pit you stood in and this sort of picket fence. But it was right in the middle of a pine forest. And they play a summer season, so it was... And a great game of rugby against some good lads. I was with Craig. We had a cold beer, stark naked, standing in this gravel pit, right, under a, under this lukewarm water in the middle of a pine forest in Canada, and it just smelled amazing. And we all cut some bruises and whatever. And he just said, he said, Mikey, it doesn't get any better than this. And, just, that just, and he was right, it never got any better than that. It was just, yeah. why, why are you playing? Yeah. There was no money in it, there was no nothing. We just, purely for love of it. And um, this goes out on Tuesday. I know the boys from Toronto Welsh are getting together on uh, Sunday at Sunnybrook Park, which is where we used to play in Toronto. So I wanted to say hello to the Toronto Welsh boys. And, uh, yeah, I'm going to raise a glass tonight to Craig Marshall. That's beautiful, mate. Thanks, lads. That's absolutely oh, beautiful. Fantastic story, yeah. And I hope all the guys, yeah, have a nice evening on Sunday, kind of celebrating Craig's life as well. Stay safe, boys. We'll see you next week. Cheers, boys. Thank you.